Welcome to Manager Tools. Meeting Leadership, Six Rules, Part One. This cast answers these questions. How is leading a meeting different from managing it? How do executives behave in meetings? What do leaders focus on in meetings? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Folks, we'd really like to see you October 9th and 10th at the M Conference, especially if you're already a manager and you're thinking about growing your career further, perhaps going to the next level. The conference name is The Future of Management, and Manager Tools, myself and Mike and perhaps others, are going to present on the future of management. And a big part of that presentation is going to be finding out from our audience what they're dealing with, what they're facing, and talking about how to solve them, but also how manager tools can support them doing so. If there's one thing we've said repeatedly, it's that marketing is not advertising. It's finding out what the market wants. And we want input from you about the problems you're facing so that we can help solve your problems. We don't see ourselves as a podcast company. We see ourselves as being in the business of solutions for managers and professionals. If you want to help us do that, come to the M Conference, October 9th and 10th, Dallas. We've talked about meetings many times. I don't know if we've we've ever talked about this stuff specifically. Some of the stuff we've we've talked about, we've alluded to for sure. We've alluded to all of it for sure. Um, but there's more to meetings than the basics of managing them, folks. I got to be honest with you. A good portion of people listening to this show probably need to focus on managing them first because yes. the state of meetings in organizations is. Terrible. It Routinely just, terrible. It's just yeah. it's just awful. So do that first and then and then think about these things, I think. Yeah. Um too many managers don't know how to run a meeting. And uh many people write us and say, Man, my meetings are great now because I'm doing this. I feel like, you know, people look at me and go, Wow, you're a different person all of a sudden. You're playing on a different level. And we're thrilled for that. But meeting management and all of our podcasts on it thus far is really only the first level. Um, we often say at conferences, uh, we won't make you a great manager, but we'll make you better than everybody else. And the reason why we say it that way is because everybody else isn't very good, so the bar isn't very high. Uh, but once you've learned how to manage meetings, the next phase in your development is to learn how to be a leader around your meetings. There's more to it than just basically managing them. In fact, I think it's safe to say, Mike, this will be an executive tools cast. Uh, leaders assume that a meeting is going to be efficient and effective and then take it to the next level with focus and evaluation and politics and some tactics that we're going to share with you here today. I just think a little bit about, about meetings. And one thing that occurred to me that I, I don't know that I've ever, or we've ever articulated on this call, but I'll share with you a, a thought I have about meetings, which is meetings are the place where people are branded. Now that sounds now that sounds kind of a little clickbaity, baity, whatever. But the fact is, apart from those you work with very closely and your friends, unless you're just the the most outgoing person in the organization and you know everybody, which is not a bad thing. Just most of us, at least half of us, aren't aren't there. Meetings are where people make their decisions about who you are. Just think about it. The meetings you go to, you're more likely to run into somebody you don't know at a meeting than you are anywhere else and actually engage in them. And so your behaviors 
the, the behaviors you engage in during meetings define you to the rest of the organization to some fairly large extent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, if you're in an organization that doesn't have well-run meetings and you do, uh, you're going to be branded in a very positive way. If you're at a place where some people run meetings efficiently and some people don't, and you are running yours efficiently, and then you start engaging in these behaviors along with our couple of bonus points that we've covered previously, but really were executive level uh, ideas, people are going to shake their head and say, that guy's, again, he, she, they're playing a different game. And too many people use email and meetings as an excuse to be normal or to be less than professional. And by that, I mean, people tell us all the time, I, I can't do this. I have too much email. I can't, you know, I just, I'm doing email all day. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do. I'm awash in it. It's terrible. It's, I get so many emails every day. And, and then we could put them in touch with thousands, probably tens of thousands, someday hundreds of thousands of people who we've talked to who now do email more efficiently. But basically, people are, well, it's too strong a word to say they're addicted to the way that they're doing email, but they're in a rut. Um, same thing with meetings. Well, that won't work. We have, a, we have a, a creative meeting culture. No, that won't work. We go meeting back to back to back to back. I couldn't ask people to start on time. I couldn't follow an agenda. I, I couldn't put out an agenda in advance. I couldn't make people close their laptops and their phones. I couldn't do it. Um, meetings and email are the two things I hear most frequently that people say, the culture of my company is broken and I know it, but I wouldn't want to try to change the culture for fear that I would, you know, be a victim of tall poppy syndrome or something. Uh, and it's really easy to be normal, to be average when it comes to these things. But if you start going at this level and the next level, people are going to take notice of you. And for those of you who are running efficient meetings, the things we're going to talk about in this cast are really going to make you feel like, wow, this is what Manager Tools has been talking about in terms of creating the foundation. Uh, the Trinity, effective meetings, these kinds of things are all the foundation to build on so that you're not spinning your wheels with wasted time in email. You're not spinning your wheels with inefficient and ineffective meetings. And now you're starting to get things done. And now you can peek over uh, and look into the future a little bit. Or as our friend Trevor Wood says, you're no longer confusing the edge of your rut with the horizon. So we've got six rules. And then I'll share with you now, I'll spoil the surprise, we have a bonus rule at the end I want to call out a couple of casts that are historically, I think both Hall of Fame casts that are really important related to this cast, but also different. So the six rules are, if you want to be a meeting leader, first, you have to get the agenda that you want. Um, now, for those of you who are not running efficient and effective meetings, who have never listened to our podcast called Effective Meetings, Get Out of Jail Free, this is going to be a stretch for you because you're saying, well, I don't, I don't even use agendas. But this is guidance for those of you who are using agendas to take it to the next level. Next, the big mistake that people make, the difference, one of the fundamental differences between managers and executives when it comes to meetings 
is that managers tend to prep for meetings based on the topics that are on the agenda, but executives prep for a meeting based on the topics that are on the agenda and the people that are going to be in the room. So prep per person. Next, don't facilitate, lead. Uh, many people see executives having someone run their meetings for them and they think, wow, that's what happens when you're executive. No, that's what happens when you're an effective manager. But we want to explain why and take that to the next level as well. Here's another one that a lot of people actually know, but surprisingly few managers do. You must speak last on every topic that comes up. In part because, as you'll soon learn, if you choose to speak last and everything that is important has been said, you don't need to speak at all. Number five, own the shoulders. You've probably heard about travel uh, to times to go to certain uh, famous travel destinations. There's the, the high season, and then there's the shoulder season, which happens right before and right after the high season. You can get good deals during the shoulder season. Well, the shoulders of a meeting are right before and right after it. And yes, if you go back to back to back meetings because you're so busy and so important, I just, I don't have time to talk to anyone because I'm so important, then maybe you can't do this. But the effective executives we know are constantly owning the shoulders of meetings they're having to attend. And then last, and you know, it's funny, Mike, we've alluded to this a lot. We've hinted at it. We've actually said it a few times, but we haven't beaten the drum really hard that if you really want to make a difference when it comes to meetings, it's not the meeting that matters. It's the stuff that comes out of the meeting that matters. And so you've got to learn to follow up, for heaven's sake. And then I'm going to save number seven, the bonus items, until we get there. We know there's a bonus, but we don't know what it is. Yeah, you know, you know this is a podcast, and we're not live streaming. They can fast forward to the end. You know that, right? Yeah, okay, fine. Burst my bubble. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm actually thinking here, Mike, that you and I are sitting here chatting as buddies on my back deck, smoking a cigar, and we're just talking about management. And there's some friends hanging around. And so they can't fast forward. And why would they want to fast forward? I know. I'm sure you've got all kinds of great stuff to share. And just love our voices. Yeah. So, no, so good. Definitely not. All right. So it's. First, first item agenda, I, and folks, we know you haven't fast forwarded. You're you're doing that just for Mark, I, and I appreciate it because if he's happy, I'm happy. All right, get the agenda you want. So, I'm assuming that in this case, the leader is not writing the agenda, at least not initially, right? Well, if you put together all of our guidance, no, you're not going to be writing the agenda. And if you're going to lead, you have to influence and even control the agenda in advance. Sometimes it's just a text. Hey, here are the things I want to see in the meeting. But what's important about this is managers get into this flow, the river, the, uh, the river of meetings and email, just, you know, they're just bobbing down the stream and there's nothing they can do about it. And they can't say, I'm going to stop when in fact you can. And the email culture in your company is totally a chimera. You don't need to follow that culture at all. Um, I've never heard from a single person who followed our email guidance and said, the organization told me I had to go back to the old way. Never. Um, and you'll find the same thing when it comes to meetings. Uh, if you're going to lead in meetings, you cannot do it on the fly. Because the meetings we go to are so often run so poorly, leaders know 
that they're actually an opportunity to outperform others in terms of getting their agenda moved forward and their relationship strengthened. There are executives who say, this is like stealing candy from a baby. It's fish in a barrel. All I have to do to get out everything I want from the meeting and way, way more every single time and make people think I'm Merlin is to just do a few things, which we're talking about in this cast. And it starts with making sure that you have the agenda that you want. Just be a little bit better than the person yeah. sitting next to you. Look, here's a classic example. And I see this when we go to train and conferences and meetings we go to at clients. Consider the attendee of a meeting who comes in late to the meeting and he or she looks rushed. And that's, that's kind of an example. That's what I have in my head of on-the-fly thinking. What are the chances that that person's well-prepared? What are the chances he or she have decided which topics to contribute to? Again, if you're an effective manager or even better, a meeting leader, you don't necessarily talk on all the topics, okay? So chances he's well-prepared, chances he's decided which topics to contribute to, zero and zero. And zero times zero is zero, which is for a leader, less than nothing. That's actually a step back. And look, I know you're thinking, well, people don't really come in late and harried. But folks, there are two clues that you have someone in your meeting who isn't prepared and isn't a leader. Either they contribute to every topic, especially ones that aren't core to their responsibilities, or they contribute to none. And what do you want to bet that the person who doesn't contribute to any topic is on their phone or laptop during the meeting, assuming, of course, that you haven't set up ground rules, which if you don't know what meeting ground rules are, you need to go back, as we said, and listen to our effective meetings cast. And look, if you have somebody come into meetings, your meetings like that, and heaven forbid they report to you, a person who doesn't contribute at all ought to be disinvited. I just tell you, if they're not contributing, well, a meeting is not a, a lecture. It's not a not an auditorium where somebody gets to sit there and just listen. Now, that's not to say there aren't meetings periodically where you invite other people in so they can hear the debate, but not every week or not on a standing basis do you have somebody come and never contributes. Okay. For meetings you're responsible for, and as we've said before, folks, nothing we can do about meetings you have to go to that you're not responsible for. Sorry, but... Other people's meetings are going to stink, and there's nothing you can do about it other than hopefully have them come to your meetings and have them say, wow, this is really good. And they say, how did you do this? Oh, you, and what you should say is, you can't. It's too hard. No, don't. For meetings you're responsible for, agenda control has two parts, one of which is often overlooked. The first and obvious rule is the agenda reflects your priorities. Since you're probably not creating the agenda, like Mike said at the top of the show, you won't be micromanaging whether this topic or that topic goes first. But you can make sure that, that, that topics are addressed in a way that align with your team or project's goals, okay? So you're not typing up the agenda and deciding what goes first, but you're going to influence it. And look, sometimes the things that go without saying need to be said. So the way this rule plays out, in case you're wondering, oh, how do I do that? Because this is mandatory tools and we have the how. Um, 
you send an email or a text or mention to your direct who is running your meeting something like, I'd like 10 minutes to be spent on increasing sales per customer, please. I'll send you a short blurb to go out with the agenda so everybody knows what we'll be trying to do. Okay. And a supporting principle of this, even though you're not the one making the decision, is your priorities are addressed early in the agenda. Why is don't that? ask. Well, don't ask for, a, for 10 minutes at the end of an agenda to cover something. Put your priorities first or nearly first on the agenda. So when you said earlier that, that in, in our outline about talking last on every topic, you don't, that doesn't mean that every topic is at the end. Yeah, that's a, that's confusing. Yeah. Talking last doesn't mean saving your agenda for the end. It means during each topic that's covered, each agenda item, when there are discussions around the content of the item, updates, briefings, questions, uh, brainstorming, decision-making, project planning, or whatever, let other people talk before you do. Uh, now, some people I know, friends of mine say, what you should tell people is first, don't dominate the conversation. And I think, well, that's just a little too kindergartenish for me. I think managers ought to know that. And they all look at me and shake their head and go, no, they don't know that. They really don't know that. Managers are constantly dom dominating the meeting. Um, I'm assuming that if you're listening, you know that you don't dominate the meeting. The meeting is not about you. And as a as a friend of mine, close friend of mine who's an executive once said, he really hates the fact that his boss has eight-hour staff meetings every Tuesday um, where the boss does most of the talking. I just, I find that hard to believe and a bit creepy. But anyway, um, yeah, you, you don't talk. You let other people talk, okay? What I'm talking about is the order of the topics, not how you engage on each topic. So thanks, Mike, if that was confusing. My bad. You put your priorities first or, or nearly first, because even if your directs meeting management, and by that I mean someone else is facilitating your meeting, even if they're solid at it, there's still a chance the last agenda item won't get covered or covered so briefly or shunted aside or put in the parking lot. And so you didn't get accomplished what you wanted to get accomplished. And this is your meeting. Why shouldn't you be getting accomplished what you want to get accomplished? Folks, I know it's popular to say everybody needs to have a say. In fact, I just read a book on the magic of meetings or something. And one of the big things in the book is how cruel it is that managers set up meetings with agendas and not everyone gets to have a say in what's going to be talked about at the meeting. Hey, what, what, what planet are you from that this is a democracy? Look, we believe in great, close, trusting relationships with our directs. But our directs don't write our review. They don't decide our salary. Uh, by the same token, we don't go home and raise their kids. There are some pretty clear lines of delineation here about vertically structured organizations, which you may argue about, and you're welcome to start your own company and attempt to not make it vertically structured. But trust me, if you're in somebody else's organization right now, and if it's at all big, it's vertically structured. And not everybody gets a say in everything, certainly not in every meeting agenda. So your meeting is agenda. We'll make sure that your priorities are covered. So what ends up happening is if you don't insist on your stuff getting covered, 
two things happen. One, your stuff doesn't get done, whatever it might be, or you have to take extra time to motivate people to do it, to communicate to them about doing it, which is time wasted because you could have done it in a meeting. And by the way, if you're not doing it in a meeting, you're going to have to do it three or four or five times, which means time's wasted time three or four or five. Okay. The other thing is there are stuff that's being worked on that's less valuable in your mind than what you would have people working on. I mean, the amount of waste involved in saying, oh, other people get to set the agenda and I don't have any input is ludicrous. Now, that's not to say there aren't other topics on an agenda that are important, that are valuable, that you didn't set. That's fine. But if there are topics on the agenda that you don't think are valuable or valid, you need to get them off. Now, another supporting principle of you you get your agenda, is people can be as important as topics. Make sure, as you think about your priorities, before you're going to massage or influence an agenda, a draft agenda, hopefully, that one of your directs has sent in, um, that you haven't just confined your, quote, priorities, unquote, to the few content-rich topics that you're talking about on the agenda. You're number two, the person who's your stand-in when you're on vacation, is also a priority for you. If she wants something on the agenda, and it's not something antithetical to your priorities, her topic gets on the agenda too, and probably gets pride of place earlier in the agenda, earlier in the meeting too. And let's take this step further. Nobody likes talking about this. Poor performers on your team have less ability to get topics of their interest on your agenda. Okay? Even if you're not the one creating the agenda, if it's your meeting, if it's your team, it's your agenda. Yeah, I feel we could go off on a tangent with that for about 30 minutes, and I'm not going to do that. But I agree with you. I'm sure some people are, like, reacting, oh, really? (laughs) Hold on. I, I just want to be clear. You're, you're saying that some people are reacting as if low performers on their team should have equal say in what goes on a meeting agenda? <laughs> yeah, well, if you say it that way, it doesn't make much sense. But, but I think people I think uh, people oh say that's gosh. not fair, right? That's not fair to the oh, poor yeah, performers. Fair. Matter of fact, some people might say, well, yeah, they're one of my poor performers, but they're working on one of my important priorities, and it needs to get covered during the topic, during the meeting. Oh, no, I, I could see that, but I think most poor performers are going to be, well, they, they certainly could do that. And if they did that, and if, in fact, the topic they want to talk about supports one of your core mission priorities, then certainly uh, I would let them do that. But that doesn't mean overall that they still don't have less ability to get topics of their interest on the agenda. The Venn diagram is smaller for them, the two circles that are intersecting is their interests and your interests. And those circles tend to intersect less Mm -hmm. between poor performers and high performers and their managers. So if they choose something in the intersection, good to go. No problem. And by the way, time for some positive feedback. Hey, can I give some feedback? When you recommend a topic that's germane, that's core to what we're doing and cover it well, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. On the other hand, if they choose something outside of the intersection of the two circles, 
They don't make it on the agenda. Right. And they're more likely to do so, right, if they're a poor performer. Yes, because if you think about the Venn diagram, the intersection between you and your number two, the two circles, the two circles are almost concentric. They're very close together. You know, they're two, they're diameter uh, circles of two inches, and their center points are only a half an inch apart. Whereas for your direct, who's not a good performer, the, the, the two circles are diameters of two inches, and the, uh, the center points are 1.9 inches apart, and there's just a sliver. So, sure, there's a possibility that there's an overlap, but with, with a poor performer, but there's a much higher possibility with a, a top performer. And I would be willing to allow a top performer to put something on the agenda, as long as it's not first or second, that was something of importance to them if we're talking about a number of different topics. Yeah. I tend to think of it as an economic argument. If I'm five levels up in the organization, the cost of my meeting with my directs or four levels up at the organization is pretty high, right? And if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a topic that's gonna be covered during the meeting, it's gonna be pretty darn important. And of course, you know, as you go lower in the organization, your ability and to call meetings together with people at that level goes down significantly, right? So there's there's a cost associated with those people in that meeting. And if that's true, then I want to get and return on that investment. And so the most important things need to be talked about. And the people, if you just would just say they're equal, equal level of importance topics from a poor performer and a, and a good performer, the poor performer is less likely to achieve something, to move it forward, to implement something than the good performer. And so I'm going to give my nod to the good performer because I'm likely to get a better return on my investment. Um, now, that's not how everybody thinks about it, but that's yeah. how I think about it. Yeah, well, we spend a lot of time talking about economic effects in, in the organization. And I think that's a huge part of how Drucker and how organizations think, frankly. It's why there are a lot of uh, unwritten rules about how organizations work internally. Um, I actually prefer your your uh, analogy or your thinking about it rather than the Venn diagram. I was being way too tactical. You're being quite strategic. Well done, Bart. <laughs> okay. No, no, I'm, if you think I'm being snarky, I'm not. Dark Mark is dead. Dark Mark is dead. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. some people are disappointed about that because we, we got people engaged. Dark Mark got people engaged for sure. Yeah, I think now to, in the world of political correctness we live in today, um, I don't know. I don't think all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> I mean, that's why I brought up the poor performers getting less ability to get their topics on the agenda, right? Because it sounds, I just, I think in today's world, many people, probably not our listeners as much, going to respond poorly to that, just issues of fairness, et cetera. So I think it's important, like, look, we're not evil people, folks. We're executives in a company trying to get the goals and objectives of the company accomplished with limited resources and limited time. And if that's true, like in any economic system, you have to make, you have to make choices. And sometimes I worry that society a little bit, that we're losing our ability to make choices, hard choices. So there you go. Yeah. I think it's important in all the fairness discussion you know, when people go run to HR and when people complain and 
when they complain that their boss is driving them too hard and so on. I think the fairness argument is a really weak argument for all kinds of reasons. But the analogy I like to use is, or or the lesson that I like to impart is, you're having an, you're having a discussion between me and you, and you're missing the whole issue of the principal and agent problem. Because if we're going to talk about fairness, we have to talk about three entities, you, me, and the organization. And fairness is an idea that basically suggests that the organization is too vertical. And in fact, the organization exists to support its verticality. And um, we are not all equal. If we were all equal, we'd all be paid equally. And there are many people I'm sure who are listening who would rail against how much more CEOs make than the individual contributor. But that's a reductio ad absurdum argument. Because if I'm talking about me and my direct, the CEO who's nine levels above one or both of us, their pay is really irrelevant to the discussion. But okay, enough. We ended up on a tangent after all. Yeah, sorry, folks, if if you didn't have the thoughts that I brought up, sorry for wasting five minutes of your life that you'll never get back. Yeah, if one of your directs ever says to you, well, that's not fair, try try to hide your eye rolling and mental disgust at the idea that that's a legitimate use of corporate resources to make things fair for everybody. Do you live in Toronto, Ontario and want to attend a manager tools conference in the next six to nine months? Well, don't miss your chance. September 11th and 12th, we'll be there with our effective manager and effective communicator conference events. And we won't be back until late 2020. It'll be over a year between events in your city, so don't miss out. Register today at manager-tools.com forward slash training. The second less obvious rule, okay, is low priorities don't get time, low priority topics don't get time on the agenda, okay? Now, we covered that your priorities get covered and your priorities get covered early, We covered that people can be as important a priority as a particular topic for content. And now we're saying we're going to get rid of low priority topics almost completely, if not completely. And the reason for that is if everybody's so darn busy, why are we spending group time? Mike, you alluded to how expensive meetings are. You can actually get a meeting clock and put people's names in it. As long as you know what everybody's salaries are, you can see how much money the organization is spending in salary and benefits for every minute you spend in a meeting. Um, and look, we've said before in our podcast that there is no such thing as time management. And if you haven't heard our podcast before, what we mean by that is you can't manage time. So we shouldn't be talking about time management. What you're actually talking about is priority management. Uh, We can't manage time, but we can manage our priorities by choosing wisely how we spend our time and what we spend our time on. Time on an agenda for our priority, something that's important, is an investment. Time spent on things that are low priorities, and as a friend of mine says, if it's a low priority, it's not a priority. The word priority implies pride of place. Time spent on low priorities is a waste, and it's an expensive waste. There you go. And so there, there's a solution. I wasted five minutes of your time earlier. 
go implement this, cut out one agenda item that's low priority, and you get your time back. So I feel better now. I'm good. Okay. Because it's all about you. There you go. It really is. Yeah. Um, the way you make this happen is you review the draft agenda your facilitator sends to you. Okay. Now, there's an implication there that, oh, I, if I'm going to have somebody facilitate the meeting, they're going to create the draft agenda and I get to review it. Yes. And you got to be willing to tell her to take things off the agenda that aren't a priority. And you might also have to tell her uh, the first time you do this that when she has to tell someone who has asked for a low priority item to be on and you yourself have taken it off, the right answer to the requester is, we just didn't have time. Uh, You could also say, sorry, not enough time, but of course you could bring that up during the parking lot. If you don't know what parking lot is, it's because you haven't listened to effective meetings and that's okay, please do go listen. You know, but what you don't want is your number two, if that's who's doing it, is running your meeting, oughtn't to learn to respond with, I tried to get your agenda on the item, your item on the agenda. In fact, I put it on the agenda, but the boss said no, because that would be a great example of the opposite of our guidance on professional subordination. And then they become my number three (laughs) or four. Yeah. Yeah. So look, this probably sounds simple to a lot of you. Oh, I thought that's what you're supposed to do on meetings, on, on, on agendas. Yes, but... I think many of you who are managing your own meetings are still creating the agendas. Stop. Have somebody else do it. You review it. And you worry about what's on the agenda. Make sure the right things are on the agenda. Whether that's for the entire team or it's simply the subheadings within a particular topic or project. Make sure the right things are getting covered. Make sure the wrong things are not getting airtime because meetings are expensive. And make sure that your priorities are not just things you do, but also people you do them with. Look, if you want to be a leader, meetings aren't about showing up and listening and talking. They're about action priorities and supporting people. There you go. Okay. Well, this is going longer than I I thought it would, but this is great. This is probably a good place to stop for part one. What do you think? Sure. I work for you. Before we go, folks, we want to continue our newfound process of honoring uh, the licensees who are the core constituency of Mandator Tools. If you're listening to this show and you're listening for free, um, that's great. We want you to benefit. And you should know there's a group of several thousand people called licensees who support you in getting this show for free. And we're doing some highlighting of some of our longest term licensees. And we want to highlight uh, one of the first three or four people that ever signed up. And that's Rob Hooft. Rob, you're a friend of both Mike and I's, even though we had never met you before manager tools folks, Rob's from the Netherlands. And um, Rob has done two things that make him stand out in my mind. One example is he is famous for the green laser pointer of death gift. Um, When we presented and Rob didn't think our laser pointer was strong enough. And so he gifted us with a laser pointer, which was so strong that you might kill yourself with it. And he was right. If you put a flashlight next to the sun, you'd say the flashlight wasn't very bright. Exactly. Uh, And the other thing Rob did was that our very first our inaugural effective 
interviewer conference uh, in Palo Alto several years ago. Rob flew in from the Netherlands to be one of the first to attend our first ever delivery of Effective Interviewer, now called Effective Hiring Manager. Rob, you're an important part of our community. It's people like you, uh, being a licensee for more than 10 years, um, that make us able to make the podcast free for millions of people every year. So thank you. Thanks, Rob. And, and my wife thanks you as well, because she's using your green laser of death to do uh, uh, surgery uh, in her dentistry practice. So thank you. It saved us a lot of money on lasers. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right, dude. We'll continue this discussion uh, next time. Okay. Thanks, partner. Thanks, my friend. Bye. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll continue on this topic next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.